Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think this film is so cleverly nuanced. It's one of those that when you do rewatch again, you go, oh my God, that was there. And this was there. I got sucked in once again to this, I would say, absolute classic of our times. Almost, this film's almost a bit like a gateway to European cinema. Like if you kind of enjoyed this and you enjoyed kind of watching actors that you you know in a beautiful surrounding have these um, relationships that are kind of sometimes fleeting, sometimes intense. You might like European cinema. Why don't you try that? Um, <laughs> Hello, everyone. Joining Flixwatcher today, we have Linton. Hi. Bertie. Hello. And as always, Kobe. Hello. And we're here to talk about Call Me By Your Name. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Linton and Bertie. Over to you please Bertie to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Hi listeners, um, <laughs> my name's Bertie and I'm um, part of the directing duo Bert and Bertie. We've made uh, a number of films and TV projects over the last whew, 16 years now. Um, you may have watched Troop Zero, which was our second feature film, um, some episodes of The Great, which is an amazing show, uh, Our Flag Means Death very recently, and uh, we're just finishing up uh, with Apple on a couple of shows, one's a sci-fi, uh, and then later next year there's going to be a Brie Larson show coming out. So busy, busy girls. You completely missed out one of the biggest ones, being Hawkeye. Parts of your parts oh, of gosh. the Oh, <laughs> that little thing. <laughs> that tiny thing we did during COVID. Yeah, so we, uh, we, we shot half of the, the show Hawkeye with uh, uh, Jeremy Renner. Um, and Hayley Steinfeld. Hayley um, Steinfeld as well, playing Kate Bishop. Your um, Hawkeye has one of the best action sequences I've seen in films, which is, um, with a, you guys direct it, I'm sure, with, with the car, uh, which kind of 
was it well there's some amazing car scenes in films one of my favorites was in in the raid 2 where the kind of car kind of detaches and retaches just to get the camera around uh but it looked like yours was taking that that kind of idea to the infinity level uh on that can you explain how that was shot and how that was done because it was i thought it was stunning Thank you. That was a huge, you know, it didn't take that long to shoot, but it took a long time to rehearse and Mm. develop. So I think that was after watching, um, there was an indie film, an American film called Waves a couple of years back. Don't know where they saw it. And it opened in a wonderful shot, which did a 360 in the car. When just the two teenage kind of boyfriend and girlfriend were driving along a bridge. And so it really was kind of a scenic and very slow, poetic move, which was just about freedom and their relationship and just in beautiful intro to the movie. But I was like, oh, my God, imagine if it was a car chase and there were things coming at this car and we just choreograph it so that this constantly rotating camera catches all the dialogue. And there was, um, you know, it, it was there was a car chase in episode 103, the third episode of Hawkeye, and so we thought, let's let's at least start it with this because there's this wonderful bickering relationship that you know Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye and and Kate Bishop has, yeah. And um and so they're they're like bickering and shouting at each other, and he's lost his hearing, so he can't hear her very well, and it's all very chaotic. And then the tracksuit mafia are like on you know in vans and cars and colliding into them, and they're going off. And so we just choreographed it so this. This this 360 camera just never stopped turning, and um, it was so fun. But we had to we had to like test different systems for it. And one system, you know, we were going to we tried handheld. We tried the way that Waves did it, where they just had a a very kind of calm camera on one axis. And then what we eventually went with was this system that was like somewhere between handheld and on the the actual, uh, the camera mount. Yeah. And we got loads of bungee cables, like literal bungee cables. And and the the grips kind of created this system where the camera was just kind of suspended and rocked a little bit, but then turned 360 as well. So that was so much fun to develop. Sorry, you shouldn't ask me questions like that because <laughs> I will not stop talking. No, it's Fascinating, good. Fascinating, yeah. Like absolutely, yeah. Um, Linton, who are you? I kind of don't want to follow that now. It's not as interesting as a, as a, a rotating <laughs> camera scene in Hawkeye, is it? Um, I'm a classically trained bassoonist. I uh, I work for uh, professional orchestras in London, but I also host uh, BBC's uh, Classical Fix podcast, which is a podcast for people who don't usually listen to classical music, actually. Uh, so if you've, if you've never engaged in it or if you worried about listening to classical music this is the podcast for you because we just I, I send a playlist of six pieces to guests and we literally just talk about what they like and what they didn't like and kind of try and break down those barriers of stuffiness that that uh, come with classical music and just kind of present it as just something really cool to listen to um and uh yeah guaranteed you'll find something you love as well how much is Film score. How much? How much you take notice of film score? Is it feel? Is it a bit like Busman's Holiday when you go to the cinema or listen to music, or is it? Uh... Oh, massively. Like I mean, like film score is a, is a huge thing, isn't it? I mean, I think that the the, the time you mot- notice it most is when there is no film score. I think Aliens is pretty Alien, the first one, is pretty mm. uh, notable for that. I remember studying that in my film score class when I was at uni. Um, I think the f- I don't know whether it's like the first. There's a, a good chunk of the, the film, either the first kind of 
couple of minutes or something without music. Um, and it works so atmospherically in that sense. Um, but you notice it. That's the thing you notice is that there is it's mm. just devoid of music. And it's a really bold move to do that in music because music in, in a film, because I think music adds so much to a scene. Music can tell you, it can really dictate how, how you are supposed to feel, whether it's an emotional state or an, a state of anxiety. Music can, can add to so much to what you're seeing. I was going to ask, is there like one particular track that you can just about recommend to anyone and you can just know that's the one? I mean, I can recommend a track. I don't know if it'll be the one for everyone, but Kobe, you talked about it. Uh, you've talked about it in another podcast that we've done um, about Lou. You talked about Holst's The Planet. Jupiter mm -hmm. from that suite is such an amazing piece. You'll have probably heard it before. You'll have heard it on an advert or somewhere else, but it's a really, for me, it's a really life-affirming piece, that one. Um, I, I challenge anybody not to feel some kind of joy from listening to that. Um, and you and you might recognise it as well. There's a, there's a chunk in the middle section which is often sung at rugby uh, rugby matches. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's just it's 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 got everything. It's got joy. It's got humour, and it's got um, emotion as well. So that's the one I would recommend to go and listen to. Also, Ride of the Valkyries is a is a good one to uh, cheer <laughs> cheer you up. Um, Classic. So Linton, you chose the film for today. Um, Call me by your name. Can you tell us first of all why you chose it, and then second of all, uh, you'll have sixty seconds to give us the synopsis. Sure, so I'll tell you why I chose it. Um, I've always been skeptical of uh, the L LGBTQ films as a genre because I hate the fact, and I hated the fact that maybe it's some kind of, well, it almost definitely is some kind of internal homopho internalized homophobia. Um, I'm LGBTQ, I'm gay myself, um, but I always hated seeing it on screen because it wasn't ever treated as a normal thing the gayness was the story and that always mm. bothered me because often as well what came along with that was low budgets um not very good storylines not very good acting and so it, it always lgbtq films felt second rate to me with call me by your name i think this is a departure from that it's not the first film that does it but it's a real departure from that and even though the love story is this LGBTQ story. For, if, if, I'll, I'll talk about it later, but that, that relationship between, I think it's Ali and Elio, isn't even the most important relationship to me in that film. And so that's why I love it. It's, it's multifaceted. Okay, and your 60 second start, uh, synopsis time starts now. So it's 1983 and Elio is a 17-year-old. He's the son of a professor and the film is set in Italy. Uh, and every summer, um, his parents have like um, students come and help them with their paperwork. Uh, the summer that we are seeing, 1983, this American 24-year-old comes across and a love story blossoms between the two of them. And that's it. Nice. Short and sweet. Um, I don't know where to start with this film. There's, there's, I, well, first of all, I, I think this might be a high scorer for, for Flixwatcher. Um, I'm going to get to yourself, Bertie. Tell me about this film. Tell me about this film from your from your point of view. Any any high level thoughts you just want to like share with people? Well, I remember watching this when it first came out in two thousand seventeen, and you know, it's when you you you're a BAFTA member, you kind of get these screeners through, and so you're kind of frantically trying to watch all of the movies. And I just remember 
also not having an incredible experience watching LGBTQ movies up to, you know, I do have to say Brokeback Mountain broke my heart and is one of a, a classic film for all generations and time. And it's a, a true classic romance love story, as is Call Me By Your Main. It was definitely my favourite film of that year. And on re-watching it for this podcast, again, I was saying to Kobe, I was like, I don't have time to watch these films. And he was like, look, if you've seen it, just refresh yourself on some of the key scenes. And so I, I opened up Netflix and I started to go through and I was like, I'll just skip to that one. And then I just started watching it again. <laughs> That's how they get you. And it sorry, was midnight. Not sorry. And, it, and I just... And I just get sucked in every time. It's just so beautiful and get sucked into not just the, because it's not that heavy in dialogue. It's, it is, it's the landscape mm. and it's Italy and it's the, the silent moments of characters. And he does this so well, um, Luca. Guadalino. Nino, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he really... I mean, A, he always kind of like paints these wildly um, unrealistic families with these affluent lifestyles and they're all terribly erudite and they're all terribly wealthy, but also wholesome and they live off the land or, you know, it's beautiful <laughs> to watch. And you're, it's aspirational, but the characters are so oddly real. Like we know odd real people in a, and, and that's what I always get from watching his a bit the, the bigger splash yeah. I am love you get odd twisted stories and relationships but there's such a joie de vivre like there's such a joy for living beneath it all so anyway I'm rambling now I got sucked in once again to this I would say absolute classic of our times Helen so I didn't see this immediately when it came out so I, I caught like maybe the, like the end of the year and I was so excited to see it and then I watched it and thought yeah it's, it's, it's good I kind of enjoyed it but I don't know I felt that I have not loved it as as much as everyone else which is a bit weird because on paper it kind of feels like a film that I should love and there's there's loads of moments that I really love and I think Timothy Chalamet is wonderful in it. I think he manages to be really funny and really heartbreaking and just really inquisitive about so many things about life. And I just think it's a really, really wonderful performance from him. But I don't know. I think maybe this time around, definitely, I'm just not sure about Army Hammer in this. I wasn't convinced by him the first time I saw it and I'm even less convinced by him. I don't know, maybe it's something about the way he eats his eggs. There's just something wrong about that. <laughs> I just didn't buy him. The first time he ate the egg, I was like, what, how what old are you? What is he doing? <laughs> A beautiful soft-boiled um, egg and he makes, he loses all that wonderful oat yolk and then he now knows that like <laughs> the lovely chef lady cooks them like that and he's still eats them wrong. <laughs> Love that this is what you're focusing on. But, yeah. You go to the important details. So sorry. I, I think, appreciate that. I think everyone else is perfect and there's just something, I'm not sure, maybe that is his character. He's meant to be not, you're not meant to like him because he obviously, spoilers, decides that he's going to get married at the end and break, break his heart in a really sad way. I don't know. I think um, I saw this as 
when it came out at part of London Film Festival and I didn't know anything about the film I just lots of people saying go and watch Call Me By Your Name so I was like I'll go and watch it um, and it was the end of a long day I was, like, I was a bit knackered but I was taken I was kind of blown away by the, scene, the, the scenery and what was going on so much so that I didn't see the story developing I didn't see I didn't know it was an LGBTQ story I just thought oh, this is quite a cool 80s set story that I thought is is um those guys were having to go at each other and and when I left it I was like well I mean that was alright wasn't it but on rewatch, I was like, "Holy shit, this is fucking stunning!" Like all, every single shot I think is is magnificent. Um, there's lots of long shots. There's lots of long scenes which didn't strike me the first time, and in particular is that one scene where uh, Timothy Chalamet is playing playing piano, for example, and that goes on for like five minutes. And this guy is not a classical trained pianist. I might defer to yourself, Linton, for. The, the kind of difficulty of what he was playing, but it still seemed like he played this one piece in three different styles. I'm having us having a go at him. Um, Oliver's having a go at him while it's doing, and he's and he's winding him up. And that's just the, one of these kind of scenes where it just kind of plays out for five minutes. And you just there's, there's the space, there's the there's the uh, tension, um, and then of course I was like, when I watched it the first time, like I said, I didn't see see it going to be a, a, a gay love story, and then I was like, on the second watch, I was like, oh yes, they're from like almost from the start it's kind of baked into the into the storyline um so i think i think it's it's stunning i didn't see the fact that he uh, that oliver got married i thought it was almost inevitable um with no idea where elio's ended up he might have ended up in a in a relationship with a woman afterwards as well i think part of it is they're both of the they're both themselves and the this, there was this relationship that blossomed maybe they're pansexual maybe they just want they enjoyed each other at the time and that was it or so i, I don't think it needs to be fully defined there but army hammer oliver went on and found a, a new love it could have been a man could have been a woman it could have been um anywhere in between um and that was always going to break Ilya's heart anyway i also love the supporting cast in here the main thing i took away from this one of the main things I took away from for the second one is how much I love Michael Stolberg and his his um monologue at the end um almost makes me cry. Like <laughs> I've, and that's that's the scene I've watched mo- I've watched on YouTube and their relationship that Elio has with his mum and dad, I think is absolutely divine. Uh but I've I've granted enough there, Linton. I, I think that's exactly it. I think this film is so cleverly nuanced. It's it's one of those that when you do rewatch again, you go, oh my God, that was there. And this was there. Like, and being a musician, you were asking about, do I tune into the, to the soundtrack? There's this, the soundtrack for this is in- incredibly clever. It's all solo mm. piano music, apart from when you get one or two pop songs. And yeah. that is, that's a very daring thing to do. There's no cinematic soundscape to this. It's just solo piano um, in each of these scenes, which I think reflects this character of uh, Elio all the way through. Elio is your protagonist. And that's um, that's kind of driven home. That's reinforced by the fact that you're, you're you know, Tim, uh, Elio is a, a pianist and it's driven home by your score is a solo p- piano all the way through playing all these. Uh, sometimes I, I definitely heard some Ravel in there, but there's some other stuff as well, maybe that was written specially for the, for the soundtrack. But I think that's very clever. Um, but yeah, I was. Th- you were talking about that that monologue at the end. The dad does. That is the relationship that I thought was the most amazing thing. I mean, this is nineteen eighty three. I grew up as a little gay boy in the nineties, um, and you know, coming out was a big thing. Most parents don't accept it. So seeing how their household was 
so so open so accepting they knew that was good thing was going on and and the monologue he gives about um how lucky you are to find that person and this idea of you know if you're sad be sad feel those feelings because this is a this is the most human like that that monologue i was like that is the most important relationship to me and it's always on the fringe it's never it never yeah. comes into the spotlight until that five minute moment right at the end um and the reason i think that is the most amazing and important relationship is because that that attitude that the father has that the, both the parents have although he says the mother didn't know um that attitude that the father has for that allows because uh, I, I don't think Elio is a relatable character to me, even as a gay man at all, in, in the fact that he's grown up in this privilege and wealth. However, he is all those little eccentricities we, we all do, the things, you know, the things we do behind closed doors and stuff like that. I'm not saying that I've done any of the stuff that Elio does on camera, by the way. Um, <laughs> just a peach I'll, confession coming up. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the, the fact that the father encourages that relationship is something that I as a as a, a gay man growing up and probably so many others longed for that that yeah. that environment where you are not only encouraged to be yourself but to to feel and to uh, and the closing scene as well where the titles start coming up where he's just crying to the fireplace I thought god that is we've all had that that first love you know, and a where, 16, 17 year old yeah, and, and something, where, and, something breaks down. And, and then, and then every, and, and, and every, everywhere you go that you went with this person, there's this invisible, there are these invisible remnants that remind you of them and, and, and pull, you know, maybe I was just a very overly emotional teenager, but pull you into tears. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I, there's so much nuance. It's so incredibly relatable, I think. And I just want to say, because so often I think cinema shows humans getting it wrong. And I think this was part of like growing up as a young filmmaker in Britain. It was like that. And don't get me wrong, beautiful films made by these these British filmmakers. But it was about the drunk father or the abusive father or the, the family where, you know, you've got a child who's struggling to fight their way out of it. And so often powerful cinema, and I'm doing bunny ears, is where we, we portray images of people getting it wrong. But really powerful cinema is painting a picture of how to get it right. And it's making me a bit emotional when you're talking, because it's like, there's, there's I often think that there really should be more hope in cinema and the cinema that we celebrate and, and that that relationship and almost more powerful for the fact that we don't see it coming. It's kind of peppered in and when you, this is where we get into our second viewing scores or repeat viewing. It was there all along. You see that, yeah, you see it building and growing and then it's like, <gasps> you know, no one sees it coming until afterwards. Um, that's powerful, well, hopeful cinema. And I think well, there's that bit when Ilius, Ilius, um sniffing his, his swimming shorts. I don't know what I thought was happening at that scene the first time. Maybe I was just like tired. I was like, oh, I mean, he's definitely into this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Toby, can I, just, can I just interject? When you say on your first viewing of this film, you're saying you didn't realise it was a gay love story. Like you finished the film and you did not realise it was a gay love story. But that's the incredible thing about it. It's not like the, 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 the story is everything else that allows that 
gay love story to happen. To happen yeah. That's the, that is sure. the beauty. That is the cleverness of this. And that's why I think that the father-son relationship is, is so important because it's on the periphery until that last five minutes. And he mm. is the person, well, the household, the, the, the family, that loving environment is the, is, was the thing that, that allowed that to happen. I mean, it's essentially, it's a film really that's kind of celebrating art and beauty and love. And then there's several relationships that are sort of spurned on by the beauty that people find in it. It's, it's kind of, it's like almost, this film's almost a bit like a gateway to European cinema. Like if you kind of enjoyed this and you enjoyed kind of watching actors that you you know in a beautiful surrounding have these um relationships that are kind of sometimes fleeting, sometimes intense, sometimes kind of spontaneous, then you might like European cinema. Why don't you try that? Um, so it, it, it feels a little bit like Somewhere that, but ultimately, in ultimately it is, it is the, what actually happens is just kind of like a buy thing. And, and when at its heart, it is art and beauty and love because the, the reason he's there is to find his his sculptures and they they feature and there's shots of those and you see them sort of in and out and that's all classical beauty and discovering these beautiful things that have been hidden or away in the sea and bringing them back and Mm. allowing other people to enjoy them and see them and and feel what that person felt when they made them so it's Mm. it's all about love Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's, and it's that, it's that, but I thought is what was really beautiful is I felt really fortunate to have that snapshot that, you know, you were talking about hope, Bertie, you know, seeing this roller coaster of emotions that Elio goes on and knowing he's going to be okay, knowing that he's going to be supported, knowing, I, I, I don't know what happens afterwards, you know, and the closing, the closing scenes are him crying, but you kind of think this is, this is the breadth of, of humanity. And I've been fortunate to have a little window into into that. Um, what did you make of the? I mean, one thing I'm always jealous about is people just flitting in and out of different languages, um, and that that gives insight as to the kind of the nature of the household and stuff like that as well, doesn't it? And the support kind of structure and the affluence, I guess, and the privilege that they have. But yeah, I don't know. Did that make? Did, is that just me that kind of felt, felt impressed that's, by that? That's also that classic Guadagnino, where you just feel yeah. ridiculously stupid for only maybe speaking one and a half languages because everyone else seems to be trying quadruple, you know, lingual. When when, um, when Oliver was trying to say, "I'm going to be late for dinner," in, in Italian, like, "Oh, Oliver, what are you doing, mate? Mate." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, come on uh, no I was just <laughs> going to say it doesn't it didn't well it, it, once again it's that that super aspirational and I feel like in on one level these families 
are so unrelatable because like how many of us spend our summers in Italy kind of like mm. whiling away, notating music and <laughs> learning how to play five different versions of one classical. Well, actually, you do. <laughs> I don't know whether it's in Italy. Um, but also, I don't, I kind of enjoy it. I enjoy watching this window into another mm. where, where I do feel, even though they might not be relatable in situation, the characters are somehow open and relatable. So I, I love them showing off their different language skills. <laughs> I really did. And it didn't bump for me. I love reading a subtitle here or there and then coming oh, yeah. back to a bit of English. I think the, the fact that Elio does it adds to his um, precociousness. Mm. And that, he wants, he it, wants to impress, doesn't he? But I, 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 I get the impression that that's, that's, that's his everyday life and he is that precocious boy who who does that and can do that without thinking but that's why i as a as a as a gay character i find him unrelatable that i mean i'm not precocious at all um <laughs> but that's not i mean precocious i present to bbc3 uh, radio 3 um yeah um, but yeah i think that it is but also again it's another little layer because you have to you have to engage in what they're saying otherwise you miss it and mm. it's a clever thing to keep you to keep you there, to keep you watching the film. If I'm flitting between, it's not just one language, it's like two or three. So while I'm reading the subtitles, I'm thinking, is that Italian? Is that French? You know, so you're always <laughs> engaged. It's a, it's a clever little... Yeah. I, uh, I wanted to ask something, and it was related to this, but it's about relatability. And, and mm. Linton, when you were saying, um, as a gay man, you've been kind of like, I don't know, is it a cringy quality to a lot of gay films that you've seen in the past that you couldn't... And I was wondering when watching it, because I feel so blissful watching these lovemaking scenes or the kind of like the flirtations and when it gets physical between them, I feel that feeling of first love over and above anything about them being a sex, sex um, same-sex couple. And, and part of me was wondering at the time, I was like, do I feel not awkward about this because... Timothy Chalamet plays the awkwardness of it so well. So he's doing that job for us, which is like embarrassed and scared and ashamed and kind of like throwing himself at Oliver and then kind of backing off again. Like all of that stuff that he's feeling allows me to kind of just enjoy him as a character experiencing this first love. I don't I don't know whether that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think in terms of gay characters. The reason I always kind of shy away from them is because previously the gay character was stereotypically gay and, and the sex scenes were stereotypically gay sex scenes, so maybe a bit seedy or something like that. And and that's because of the nature of what being gay was in the 90s. It was something to be ashamed of. There's a scene, actually, where um, Ollie starts mocking him for what he did with the peach. Um, oh, yeah. And that, that whilst... I can't relate to the peach thing. That moment of, sh I was always, we were so always- So you say. <laughs> we were always taught as, as gay people that gayness is something to be ashamed of. And so that that real, that moment of pure unadulterated shame that he's feeling that makes him mm. just, he bursts into tears, doesn't he? That that was like, oh my God, like I, I can so relate to that. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. Like you weren't on, you weren't on edge because he's, he, 
he's going through the spectrum of emotions that we all go through either with somebody or in private we are mm. seeing that and that's also intertwined because it's it's Elio's story that is he's the protagonist and and again as i said like that's that's only emphasized by the fact that our soundtrack is just piano most of the time it's solely focused on him so we are we are very comfortable in his hands in that journey yeah. There's that one. There's that first night that they kind of spent together. Um, but leading up to that, you had Elio's writing on the on the, on the post-it notes, and we've we've done that like to the people we, we fancy. We're like, oh, should I say this? Or you or you started writing that text message, and they see the ellipses coming up, maybe, and you discard it, and then you send it, and then you're like, fucking hell, what the hell have I done there? Um, and then you know, so that build up through to them meeting that night, you see with Elio for the rest of the day. And he's constantly looking at his watch, like every two minutes, every three minutes, he's looking at his watch because he's like that. Pe- the uh, note from no back from Oliver is like, "Be a man, see you at midnight." And it's just like, "Oh, hold, okay, this is going to happen. This something's going to happen here. We're going to." Um, and that kind of stretch, I think that transcends any. That just that's that just that's a young person in in love kind of thing. That's a young person infatuated, um, and I think that stretch particularly was really fascinating and really kind of engaging. And then there's a the release of the of the uh, of them hooking up, which I think, yeah, fantastic all the way through. Um, is there anything you guys want to say before we head to the scores? We'll run a bit longer in this, but I think um, I kind of anticipated it. But um, anything else we want to say before we start scoring? Call me by your name. So much I want to say, but I think it would just go on for hours. Then. So we'll... <laughs> well, let's head to the scores. I'm Kate Lever, host of Who's a Good Dog, the podcast for anyone who's ever loved a dog. We're one of the other podcasts in the Stripped Media family. Each episode, I ask a brilliant person to introduce me to their dog and tell me how having a dog has changed their life. Listen to Who's a Good Dog wherever you get your podcasts. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. The scores are always out of five. You may have decimal places and we will start with you, please, Linton, with your recommendability. I'd give this a 4.8. Why does it lose a point two? Um, I think because just because it's a very particular genre and I think you have to be in a very particular mood. It's not, you, it won't, you couldn't just sit down, well, maybe you could and just watch it. I think you have to be prepared to invest in it. It won't grip you straight away. Um, you have to be prepared to invest a little bit. Mm. Bertie. Well, I was going to. I was going to just go for a four point eight, and then you asked the question of why not the other two points, and I was. Mm. I was thinking of. Like, I don't know whether I'd recommend it to my dad because my dad's all squeamish about gay movies, and I'm like, no, actually, that is why I'm going to re- recommend this to my dad. <laughs> so I'm going to go for a five now. <laughs> There you go, Dad. Take that five. Uh, Helen. Is there anyone who hasn't seen this? It feels like everyone's seen this. Plenty of people haven't seen this. I feel like everyone's seen seen this. this. Um, I really wish I loved this more. And and I feel like, I feel a little bit sad that I don't love it as much as a lot of people. But I still would highly recommend it to a 4.5. It is very art housey. And I think that a few people would be like, Oh, it's a bit boring because nothing really happens. Um, there's languages in it, kind of thing. Um, 
So, yeah, a four point five. I think it's really strong, and I love seeing um, gay stories on film. So, like more of them. I'm going to go for four point five as well. I think the um, point five comes off because it is, um, yeah, it's more art housey. You've got the languages there, and it's a romance story, and it's the kind of thing whereby one of my favourite films is uh, well, the favourite films is the Before trilogy, but there's no way I could recommend that just to everyone. And as much as I love those. Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy falling in love in the in the European streets. There's so many people if I recommend that, I'd like, what the hell are you doing, Kobe? <laughs> why, why did you tell that to me? Um, so it's for those people who can't, A, com- conversational films, where's the guns? Um, where's the plane blown up kind of thing? So yeah, 4.5. But What would constitute a five? Because not every film will have guns or planes thrown up or blowing up, not thrown up, or people kissing, in, gay men kissing in the streets. So what could constitute a five? Because not every genre will fit everybody. Not at all. So this is so I my 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 benchmark for this is Bats the Future. The film I can recommend to anyone. Go watch Bats the Future. If you've not seen it, go and watch it. Watch it now. So that's that's my benchmark of a film that you can recommend without reservation to absolutely anyone. And so I don't I don't give many fives at all on, on this. Um so that's it's a high watermark to to give. Even Star Wars I wouldn't recommend to I wouldn't give a five to people. So uh repeat viewing score. Linton. I again would I would give this a five in the sense that if you if you've watched it once and you've spent that time investing in it and you enjoyed it, go, do watch it again because there's just so much nuanced cinematography in it mm. that I think is so beautiful. Bertie. Four point five. I think you can get an amazing first viewing out of this. It will just rock your world. But actually having watched it probably I don't know how many, maybe three times now, I get something amazing from it every time. And more, but I was much more aware of those long single, single shot scenes. Not kind of mm. oneers that classic, like super kind of moving oneers that are super choreographed or anything, but those beautiful, just like portraits that are allowed to play out. Those kind of things that you get on the second or third viewing. Helen. Yeah, I'm just really. I just really couldn't watch Army Hammer this time round, um, and it's really bad. Like I really enjoyed watching it the first time, and this time round. I just couldn't get past him. Um, so I'm going to give it 3.5 for repeat viewing. I uh, Maybe I could just like watch that's it, the thing, though, that's what fast it, forward it make... him and not watch him and just watch the other bits. Can I interject with something? Do you think what's the whole army hammer thing going on at the moment has blighted your viewing of him? Yeah. And I just watch right. it and I'm just a bit... You can't get past who he is now. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, I just wish it'd been someone else or... I I, I have a similar kind of thing with Army Hammer, but I was like, when I was watching this, I was like, oh man, he's re- it's almost a waste because he's, he's really, I think he's amazing in this. I think he's, this is his best performance. Um, we've had him, we've had Social Network as well, which is, he, he plays Aeon of the Handsome Guy twice. <laughs> um... But when I was watching, it's just like, oh man, dude, you've, it's a, it's a shame, it's a shame. But I wasn't, it didn't distract from the film. I was just, I was kind of like, you, you did a stellar job in this. Um, repeat viewing score. This is my second time watching it, and I won't watch it that often. But it needs to be rewatched. Uh, so it's going to be a four point five. Small screen score. I think this for me, this is where it's going to lose some points. Um, but um, Linton. I th- I think it works nicely on the telly. I don't I didn't think I needed to go and watch it in the cinema. Um, it's not like you get big expansive shots, um, 
and it's not like there's a lot going on in the in any one shot. You, you know, you've never really yeah. ever got more than about five or six characters on screen at any one time. So, I think it I, I, does that mean it gets a smaller score? No, if you feel it works better, if you feel it works super fine on the on the TV, or uh, then it gets a, a higher score. Yeah, no, I think it works fine on on the TV. So let's say four point five for that. Thirty. Yeah, I agree. Interestingly, I think there is some stunning scenery, and I know I gave I've given previous films that we've reviewed bigger scores for like big big but the epicness the classicness of this movie is not in its bigness and its scope it's in its intimacy mm. and therefore um it's it's a four for me but there's some beautiful scenery that and i'd love to be enveloped by that sound and that solo piano in a cinema yeah. i'm just a big advocate of cinema guys let's go to the cinema <laughs> more often but four helen yeah i'm I really enjoyed seeing this at the cinema. The Prince Charles did a double showing of this and the talking heads stopped making sense. And I just had like so much fun going to see both of them. And I just really enjoyed watching this big and this will lead into my um, engagement score as well. But I didn't think I was going to find much of a difference between watching it on the big screen and on the little screen, but I did. So uh, I, I'm going to give it a thought. I think if you've seen it before, watching it on the small screen is probably not going to be that much of a difference to you. But for me, I, I definitely enjoyed it more on the big screen so far. Yeah, I'm going to go 3.5 here. I Like I said, the first time I watched it was in the cinema. Uh, second time was on my iPad and flitted between my TV as well. But if, once, if next time I watch it, I'd want to watch it on the big screen, I think, to get both the story in there and both the vistas and... Um, I like the way you talk about the, the portrait playing out, Bertie. I think that's a nice way to kind of phrase those long shots. So 3.5, uh, engagement score. Linton. Uh, remind me what the engagement score is for, how engaged it was. Yeah, how engaged you were. You check were you phone? checking your phone? Did you feel the need? To, oh, you, were you checking IMDb? A solid 4.5 here. Uh, Bertie. I'm going to go 4.8. Ooh. As I was trying not to be engaged when I was watching yeah, this sucked you in. last night at midnight <laughs> and then just got engaged. Helen. God, I was terrible. I I was on my phone quite a lot during this and I think it's it's got kind of like that slightly dreamy quality of like being on holiday and you're kind of like don't have much to do. You can just kind of like sit around looking at beautiful things and then something happens and you pay attention and then you go and have some sexy time with a peach and then nothing happens for a bit. And then you you go and dance to a bit of the psychedelic furs and then there's like a sleepy bit. Um, and yeah, I, I got sucked in. So like, oh, it, it could have had uh, Shia LaBeouf in this. That was um, um, one of the original names turning around. So yeah, I got kind of like sucked into um, IMDb trivia, which means I can't, I can't give it ultimate high engagement so uh, uh a four i mean it's still decent yeah i'm gonna go for four um i was kind of willing myself i was i was kind of i want to get to that michael Stolberg speech <laughs> i was looking forward to that again uh in context um but again i was like oh picking up the pieces that i'd, I'd missed in the first sitting and again i think sometimes when you when you're watching films as part of a festival I don't know if that was a fourth or fifth film I've seen and you're just a bit tired and you're kind of in a nice warm comfy place and you maybe maybe I drifted off um but I was I was certainly um 
I think I was more engaged this time than was the first time. That gives us an overall score of 4.350000. So, high. yeah, pretty decent yeah. score. Yeah. Um, decent score there. To everyone who's listening to us, um, do follow us on Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod, um, as well as telling you what's going on on general general stuff on, uh, on, on Netflix in the UK. We do put a shout out before we go to record and put a tweet out like this. We're reviewing Call Me By Your Name with Linton Stevens from BBC Radio 3's Classical Picks and Bertie from uh, hashtag Bert and Bertie. Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and your score are five stars for an on-air shout out on FlixWatcher. Normally... I mean, we put this out for every film. Some films don't get a response, especially if they're new or um, not that well-seen. This isn't that well-seen, but this is by far and away our largest response. Um, Well, by far and away, well, it's definitely one of our largest responses. So we can't read them all out, um, but I'll I'll ask you guys to read out two of your favourites each, if that's that's all right. I want to scroll down the feed and and check them out. So apologies, I can't read them out, read all of them out, but there just isn't enough time. Uh, Linton, do you want to take one? Yeah, Yeah. so I've got... Stevie B seven three three who says started a fan account on Twitter because of Timothy Chalamet's portrayal of Elio, so he gave it five stars. <laughs> uh, and then Elena says uh, a real masterpiece, aesthetics in every frame and every sound, and that was five out of five as well. Bertie, um, looking at Truthseeker, which is a great name. Um, five years and many watches later, I'm still obsessed with it. It's not just the romance, it's the family, the nostalgia, the immersive environment, the lack of villains, the silences, and most importantly, the exquisite acting from the two leads. Luca is a genius. So I think that just encapsulates mm. a lot of what we were saying. I love yeah. the lack yeah, of villains. Exactly. It's such a brilliant shout. Uh, do you want to take another one, Bertie, before we go to Helen? A beautiful, poetic film. Great performances by Hammer and Chalamet. Best film ever, June. <laughs> June 2023 is <laughs> the, the name. And Helen, come from yourself. So this one is from Always Underscore Never, five stars. This masterpiece made me fall in love with life again. It reminded me in a visceral way of all that is beautiful in the world. It was not like watching a movie, but like being there with them in somewhere in northern Italy in the eighties. Four years later, I'm still there. I love. I do love that intro. Somewhere in northern Italy. That's and you're in. Uh, one more for yourself, Helen. One of the most beautiful, sensual, tender, and heartbreaking films I've ever seen. The way the film is shot is so voyeuristic that it's like you're seeing it with your own eyes. Hammer and Chalamet are incredible in it and have extraordinary chemistry. A masterpiece. Five stars. A lot of people like this. Thank you very much, guys, for reading messages. Apologies, we're not going to read them all out. Um, there's one person who talks about the sequel. I think it was a sequel muted. I'm not sure if this is before. I think this is before Army Hammer um, instances. I don't I don't think it needed a sequel irrespective of this. I, for me, this seems like a nice contained film. And um, I don't, I, th- I think it, I really like the way it ended with, um, <laughs> that sounds harsh, with uh, Elio's crying face. But I think that was a nice way to end the film. <laughs> You know, if there were a sequel, fine, which is just nine, oh, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Or if if the sequel were just another ninety minutes, two hours of him crying, maybe that would be fine. <laughs> Why not? Luca can do anything. Let, let him have it. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, Bertie and Linton, can you tell everyone we can find you, uh, your work, and we'll say goodbye to all the listeners. Sure, you can find me on BBC's Classical Fix podcast, which you can get on uh, BBC Sounds or on wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and you can find me on socials. I'm at Linton Stevens on Twitter uh, and Instagram uh, at Linstagram or my illustration Instagram is Insta underscore sketchy. 
did you ever do an Instagram with this? Because you did a you did a an illustration of uh, Shit's Creek, which um, one of our mutual friends, Gareth from our, our quiz team, bought from you. Um, oh, did, did you ever do a, a call me by your name? I didn't do a call me uh, by your name, but I tell you what, I'll put it on the list, Kobe. <laughs> uh, let us know when you do, and we'll share it with with people one hundred percent. Bertie, where can we find you? On Instagram, we're Bert Bertie Directors. That's kind of about it. Um, uh, you'll if you. You want to check out Hawkeye on on Disney Plus? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the great on Hulu. Uh, Our flag means death. HBO and um, some stuff coming out on Apple soon. And maybe keep watching Disney next year because there's possibly a a big movie that we're directing, mm-hmm. which wouldn't be well, for so- another two years. It sounds like you need to have a project on Netflix. You've got all the other streaming net platforms. Oh, there's one in the works. Don't you worry. Yeah. Is there? there is, yeah. <laughs> Heard it here first. Yeah. You'll Fantastic. hear about that. Yeah. Maybe you guys can review it. We'd love absolutely. to. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'd love to review it. Um, thank you so much, guys, for coming and talking about Coin By Your Name. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye. enjoyed this episode of flix watcher podcast why not leave us a five-star review on itunes you can also follow us at flix pod on twitter and we're at flix on instagram thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty mighty tunes and ben from rockwood audio for his awesome editing skills if you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this get in touch with ben and that's rockwood r-o-k-k wood audio tell them flicks what you sent you you just heard a stripped media production